Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi there, I'm Georgie Ainsley, and every week I talk to someone who is a performance person. They could be an athlete from the world of entertainment, business, or politics. They could even be an astronaut. The key link is, of course, that they all know how to perform at the top level, and they can teach us all a thing or two about how to do that in our own lives at whatever it is that we do. Performance People is available wherever you get your podcasts, or of course, you can watch us on YouTube, where you can also subscribe, and please do. Alex Popham is a retired international rugby player with 33 caps for Wales. He's played in World Cups in 2003 and 2007 and is a 2008 Grand Slam winner. Alex retired in 2011 and in April 2020 was diagnosed with probable CTE and early onset dementia as a result of a traumatic brain injury suffered in his rugby career. His wife Mel has been with him on every step of his journey to raise awareness of his condition and together, thanks to a medical facility in Mexico, they now have new hope. I didn't want to speak out. I didn't want yeah. Alex to be the face of the story. And he was the first player diagnosed. He was in that first group of nine. And we got asked to do this with the BBC, um, with Stephen Michael, and I said no. Seeing stars, they are small concussions. And again, the word concussion I don't like using uh, because it softens what's gone on. If we call them what they are, traumatic brain injuries, people will stand up and, and take them seriously. As neurologists, yeah. had a meeting with us and said, I can't tell you how or if this is going to work, guys. But I don't think it's going to harm Alex in any way. It could end up being a rather expensive, pointless holiday. Um, or it could be a medical breakthrough. Guys, thanks so much for agreeing to um, chat to me today. I want to start in a place that I wouldn't normally start, which is sort of... Um, with the today and the here and now and then track back because what you've got to say and I know what you've got to say is hugely impactful, really meaningful. And when I ask you, Alex, how are you? It's not a regular how are you like you'd ask anyone any day of the week. I mean, this this has a loaded meaning for you right now, this, this sort of question. So I'm going to ask you that and if you just let us know how you're doing and, and why you're in the place you are today compared to previously. Well, today, yeah, I'm feeling feeling pretty good. Um, but if you asked the same question three years ago, um, I wouldn't have been able to to answer you, answer the same. Um, yeah, three years ago, we weren't in a in a great place. Um, I have been away for experimental treatment um, in March 2021, um, and it's been a it's been a game changer for, for me personally, us as a family, and the the story of how it all came about and the journey that we've been on over the last three years has been unbelievable, really. Um, I can't really, uh, memories of, of that time and the diagnosis, and we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that later, aren't really there. Mal, Mal's got a lot more vivid uh, memory of that, um, but 
yeah, really positive and can't wait to talk about it. So just to be clear, what was the diagnosis three years ago for those that don't know? So on April the 16th, 2020, uh, I got diagnosed after nine months of uh, testing with early onset dementia and probable CTE from my rugby career. Mel, I mean, there's been, obviously it's been an extraordinary few years for you. Um, Alex says there are moments in it that he can't recall, he can't remember because of the condition, presumably. So so what, what has this journey been like for the two of you? I mean, we're going to go into some real detail um, later, but just superficially, how, how has the last few years been for you? Yeah, it's been a complete roller coaster because the build-up to the diagnosis in 2020, obviously the testing started because there were problems. And really, I started to notice those in 2018 after our daughter was born and I was at home for four months on, on maternity leave um, and started to notice some characteristic differences in Al. Um, short-term memory, completely forgetting conversations, um, irrational outbursts, absolutely um, out of nowhere and really extreme. And that was going on behind closed doors for 18 months without us talking to anyone, telling anyone. And that took a massive toll on, well, our relationship, the family, my health. Um, so the build-up to the diagnosis itself was, yeah, life was sort of falling apart, to be honest. Um, and then the diagnosis gave us, I suppose, some answers. Yeah. And, um, but it wasn't the diagnosis we want to hear because the words were, there is no treatment and there is no cure. And uh, both of us at 40 years old with a daughter wasn't even two by then. And Holly and Isabel, Al's elder daughters, were 11 and 15. To hear that, and here we had a five to ten year management plan with the words they used on Al's life before he'd need to be in a care home. And, um, well, God, the days imprinted on my head ran to our dad says Lou to be sick. Um, we had the diagnosis in a phone call because it was a COVID lockdown. It was horrific, horrific weekend. Um, and then from that point, what's sort of happened in the last three and a half years is just surreal, really, at times. And I'm still pinching myself, the journey we've been on and, and <laughs> the conversation we're now having with you today. And um, we've got hope of our future back. And it's just mind-blowing. Um, yeah. Alex, where's the hope? It's been a... But exciting. Yeah. Very well, it's so refreshing to have a positive outcome to something that's been obviously a real roller coaster of many people's worst nightmare, um, and I'm sure yours as well. So, what, this this positive outcome piece, where did this come from? Where did the hope come from? What's 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 basically inspired it? Well, from um, diagnosis in April 2020, we had seven seven months before we, myself, Steve Thompson and Michael Lipman went public um, when the legal case went went live and we were on all different television uh, stations, radio, uh, newspaper. Um, and a, um, he's become a, a friend now, but uh, Mike Batt, uh, brother, saw the interview of as Mel calls it, ugly, ugly crying on the news with, with the I, I didn't want to speak out. I didn't want yeah. Alex to be the face of the story. And he was the first player diagnosed. He was in that first group of nine. And we got asked to do this with the BBC, um, with Stephen Michael. And I said no, because it felt really, really exposing. I hadn't told, well, we hadn't told many people about no. the diagnosis, but I hadn't told anyone at work. I worked in London and ran a company. I'd kept... That's my sanctuary, and this felt like, oh my god, we're going to tell the whole world. Um, so it took you about three, four months to convince me to yeah. to do it. And I look back now, and oh my god, I thank my lucky stars that he persuaded me to because it was because of Alex. That. What was and your what, yeah? What were your Mel reasons because... for persuading Mel to do it? What did you? Why did you feel it was <laughs> so, so well, important? The seven months leading up yeah. until going public, I was speaking to so many ex-players who were having the same symptoms, struggling, and wanted to be uh, wanted to be tested to find out if there was a problem. They were suffering in silence, and we believe it was only the tip of the iceberg. Um, when we went public, there was nine players diagnosed. Now there's over three hundred and fifty, um, and still the 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 tip of the iceberg. So we needed to 
to speak out because there you, were, pe there were people there, people yeah, were there, there were people struggling. There's been suicides, and I just didn't want. Um, I, Alex I, felt that us speaking out, being honest, and by then I was in touch with some of the, the other wives and partners, and we were sort of starting this little organic sort of support group because it's such a really it's it's indescribable somebody who's not going through it georgie that a, a 40 yeah. year old who looks absolutely you know it's invisible um situation with brain injuries looks so well you know we've got a young family he's this rugby hero and our world was falling apart behind closed doors and and as i said talking to all these other players theirs were too um some of the marriages had already fallen apart because of problems that they were going through so Al felt that by speaking out, there would probably be so many more that were having these problems and that we could help, that us saying something would help, but we never dreamed that it was going to actually bring the phone call that came to us personally no. the next day that then started this whole... So what was the phone call? Tell me about the yeah. phone call. What happened? So so it was it was through I had a message from a mutual friend uh, a, a chap a Welsh business owner a Welsh rugby fan a, a brother who lives in Abergavenny saw the new piece on the news with Mel uh, crying and um, that he could have something that could help me help us um, and at the time we were contacted by different people who. Oh. We're going to click my neck and fix my brain. Offered uh, healing crystals that were going to fix my brain, but because it came through a mutual friend who I really trusted, um, we had this call. Well, we agreed to take the call. I think yeah. he persuaded me to take the call. I was like his bodyguard that first <laughs> week after the news broke, because so many random suggestions coming out of the woodwork. And we took the call and we spoke with Mike, and instantly. Um, I suppose we instantly connect. Yeah. I, I've done recruitment for 25 years, so interviewing people is, is my thing and what I do. And I'd quickly done my sort of recce, and he seemed really authentic and sincere. And he now lives in America, has done very well in, in business, but is a, a miner's son from the Valleys who still loves Welsh rugby and loved Alex as a player. And he told us about this confidential biotech company in the US that were in the process of conducting a clinical trial into this technology, an FDA clinical trial, but not for, for Alex's condition, for actually for children with cerebral palsy. And that was at advanced stages of the clinical trial closing. Um, but they believed that the same technology, Alex was patient zero, if you like, first one for um, traumatic brain injury leading to on early onset dementia, but the founder, this genius doctor, founder of the business, believed that he could help Al. And he didn't promise anything. He didn't made no promises, but Mike's first call to us to tell us about this was to ask whether we'd meet with the doctor on Zoom. Which obviously we agreed to do and Alex wanted to do immediately. Impatience was one yeah. of his pretty obvious symptoms and what had been you know previously you're always a quite impatient person became an un totally unreasonable impatience with with our symptoms so we met with him the next day yeah on zoom um i mean his cv was phenomenal and again back to my recruitment head i thought well i'll go and do my due diligence does this cv stack up you know harvard educated john hopkins professor previous member of um, you know world health organization you know, child protege who'd gone to medical school at 16. Um, I was fascinated on, on meeting him on Zoom for the first time. But the, what I suppose the biggest thing was not just about him, it was about what he was telling us. And he showed us some case studies of how they'd used this technology. Um, and you wanted to get on the plane the next day. Yeah. <laughs> Alex wanted to get on the plane the next day. And the, the treatment, the clinical treatment centre is actually in Mexico, in a place called Monterrey. Um... Dr. Roberto Trio, the, the founder, is, is Mexican. Um, and I wasn't prepared for Al to just go and stick his head in a machine that, yes, we've been told by this guy who seems like a phenomenal genius and a gift of God, but um, I had to go and be logical and check this out and do my due, proper due diligence. So we got Al's neurologist in the UK involved. He signed an NDA and met with Roberto on Zoom and was shared data and information and looked at it all for us. 
Um, it was COVID and there were travel restrictions, so yeah. that was complex. We couldn't travel via the US and even in transit. So the the journey there and trying to take a yeah two-year-old in a pushchair and a husband who looked fine but had a lot of problems in any big, busy, noisy Especially situation. With the masks and things, wasn't it? With masks, Al had a real problem mm. understanding people because one of the areas of damage in his brain was dealing with the audio um, processing. Yeah. Um, so even the journey itself was daunting for me and we'd never heard of this place in Mexico. I think my mum was the one who said, don't wear your watch, don't take your engagement ring, are you and Darcy going to get kidnapped by some cartel? And she was planting this yeah. it's too much narcos. Um, so you were on at me every day, every day, every day. We've got to go, we've got to go, we've got to do it, we've got to do it. It's my only hope, it's my only hope. And like a woodpecker at me, I was still trying to drag my company through, through COVID. Um, I'm a partner in a firm in London and be a a, a mum to Darcy and um, my teenage stepdaughters and help them deal with what was going on with dad. So I was, I was on my absolute knees, Georgie. But we made the decision, didn't we? Well, the, um, well our neurologist yeah. had a meeting with us and said, I can't tell you how or if this is mm. going to work, guys. But I don't think it's going to harm Alex in any way. It could end up being a rather expensive, pointless holiday. Um, or it could be a medical breakthrough. And he was sort of just like, you, you've got nothing to lose right now because you're, there is nothing else for you. So we made the decision to do it and we phoned Mike, didn't we, and said, that's yeah. it, he's over the moon. We're coming. And then literally within hours, the flights were booked. Uh, we had to go to Paris, to Mexico City, to Monterey. It was 28 hours yeah. door, door to door. Um, I, I was dreading it and ended up sobbing the whole way there. I'll admit that. Um, kicked off first in airport security. He kicked off because um, he couldn't understand this really, well, he was quite rude guy on the security belt with his mask on. And in a panic, and I think I was so emotionally exhausted at the time anyway, I blurted out that he had dementia and brain injuries. And he then turned on me, started shouting at me because he didn't want me to announced that in an airport in front of people it was just held I was embarrassed by that you were you were you were let's be honest and I Jarcy was a dream she popped herself on the plane snuggled in and <laughs> slept the whole way meanwhile I sort of sobbed the whole way listening to my car map and writing in my journal um Mexico City was hell on earth yeah that was just the biggest busiest airport I've ever seen in my life, not a lot of people were speaking English and the masks added to that. Their met their COVID protocols were way more intense than ours. People walking around with guns, if you didn't disinfect your hands. Walking in troughs. Walking in troughs to disinfect. And meanwhile I'm struggling <laughs> with a push chair and and him. Um I had to go and do a bit of deep breathing in the lounge of Mexico City and listen to the car map again to pull myself together. So yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a fun experience. And then we got there and it was really weird. We arrived in, in Montreal, I remember it vividly, we got through to arrivals and this big beaming smile from their, it was their driver. They'd arranged for them to come pick us yeah. up. And he was just this smiley face in this sea of like strangers. And um, we got in the car and as we were driving into Montreal from the airport, all I could see was it felt like I was in Florida. I've got family in Florida, my dad's family. And it felt like, oh, it's like we're coming out of Tampa Airport. Everything was very mm. American. And... We drove into the city and it was really smart and very nice. And we'd booked um, the West Inn. Yeah. Expensive five-star hotel that we really couldn't afford because I just needed to feel, like, comfortable and, like, so, we were safe. <laughs> I'm thinking, Justin, I would get kidnapped. Um, and it was just... I suddenly started to feel calm. We got to the hotel and it was just... The staff were amazing. They were so amazing with Darcy and helps with all my overpacked bags I packed for a year. All weathers. We were going <laughs> we were going for six weeks. Um, but took everything for a two year old. I was determined she won't miss out on nursery and I was gonna teach her to read and write. So we um at two. Yeah. Um <laughs> but we got there and we got into bed and I remember just for the first time in such a long time I I felt calm. And I remember lying in this room thinking and I wrote in my journal about it and thinking, right, tomorrow is the chance of a whole new you know, perspective on everything. You've got to fucking believe in it now. Excuse me. You've got to believe in it. You've got to believe in it. And digging it, like, come on, let's believe in it. And, um, and yeah, well, the next day, well, you can talk about what happened the next day. Yeah, it was, again, memories of, of actually that journey and not 
not great. Um, but when we were picked up again early early doors, the 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 facilities that we went to, the testing that I had, um, yeah, were, were were unbelievable and. Um, just explaining what was going to happen because we were there for five weeks. You got thoroughly tested before having any treatment. Um, the same on day 14 and the same on day 28. So it was 28 days treatment. You were in the machine for uh, an hour a day. What's the machine, Alex? Um, what was the machine like? What did the machine do? Um, it, it looked very similar to, to an MRI machine. Um, and a lot more comfortable. Yeah, no noise whatsoever when you were uh, when you're in this tube. Um, and Darcy and I'd be sat in the room with him as well. It doesn't yeah. feel like medical. Well, it's obviously medical that it's um, say what? nurses, doctors, etc. But there's no bloods taken. There's no clinical environment in that sense. You sort of come in and have your vitals done every yeah. day. Yeah. And then you sit in the room, and Darcy and I are in there. We've got music playing. We've got Al's playlist on. I'm say teaching her to read and write. She's skipping up the steps, holding Daddy's hand while he's in there. If you needed to pause treatment to go yeah. for pop to the loo, you can. It's not a um, so. I think immediately when we saw all of that, we were like, "Wow, this is really." You felt comfortable. Yeah, yeah. It's because, not like a scary yeah. treatment to go yeah. to. Yeah, because what was even though my neurologist told me there was there's no harm in you having this treatment, he didn't think it was still quite scary saying goodbye to. Holly and Isabel before and leaving them in the UK, speaking yeah. to my mum and dad, I just did, you just didn't know because it's so new, this technology. But once I got in there, put my playlist on and would have a sleep some, some days. Um, and I guess the thing is, is that when you've got a diagnosis which feels so out of your control, was it this thing that kind of gave you a little bit of the power back? Because I can imagine that when you're told that there's nothing that can be done, actually, and then there's somebody else over here going, well, try this and see what happens. You just grab it with both hands, right? You just, everything that you've got, you'll give it a go. 100%. But it, but it does, but yes, definitely. But it also came with, on my part, a fear of getting hopes mm -hmm. up. Because we'd spent that seven, eight months, you know, having that conversation with my stepdaughters. You know, Darcy wasn't two. She didn't get it. She didn't understand. Holly and Isabel did. And having to sit with them, God, it makes me feel upset now. That conversation that day when I had to tell them about Dad's diagnosis was horrific, yeah. Georgie. Absolutely horrific. You know, our three girls are his absolute world. He's the most hands-on dad. He adores his three girls. And so to them be... A year later, going and doing this to get their hopes up for me felt like a huge burden of responsibility. Because what if what if it did nothing? What if it went wrong? What if Al was the one? You know, they haven't used it on anyone else. But what if it did cause him some damage? I had all of this racing yeah. in my head, so it was a really it was a really odd time that. We've started to notice things straight away. Yeah. It, we started to notice differences in our straight away. Mo, mo, most oh, since playing and then through retirement, I suffered really bad migraines. Well, daily headaches. Da daily headaches. Um, most days I would take paracetamol. So I took two, 150 paracetamol over with me to have usually four a day I would, uh, usually in the afternoons. Um, I took paracetamol on day one of the treatment, day two, and I didn't need to take them on day three. And I know that might sound like, you know, that's just, okay, fine. That to me was like, you're not, you've not got a headache. You've not got a headache. You know, by the time I went to bed at night, he was always complaining of this like pain in his head that couldn't yeah. shift. And so I was like, okay, so that was the first noticeable yeah. change. Yeah. And then I knew he was getting tested on day 14, but I thought... I'm going to do a few of my own little experiments here because I noticed he wasn't forgetting conversations so much. He wasn't using the wrong words. He wasn't um, getting angry irrationally at, at flying off. And I thought, you know, he seems to be um, cognitively more capable. So I did like little experiments where I'd say we had, we had a petrol station opposite our hotel and I sent him off with a list of five things to get. He didn't know I was doing this as an experiment at the time, 
But before we'd gone to put it into context, he'd gone to our local garage in our village to get milk for Darcy, and he'd gone three times, Georgie, and come back empty-handed. And too proud to phone me from there to say he'd forgotten yeah. what he'd... And he was just... And I was, that's how life had been, right? It was that bad. So to give him five things, I was getting a bit cocky there, but to give him five things, I was, I was sat in the hotel room waiting for my phone to go or waiting for the WhatsApp of going, I remember one, but what were the other things you wanted? Or him to come back with only one or two. Um, or often it would be a panic phone call. What was it I was here for? And no phone call, no phone call. So I'm getting my hopes up slightly. And he waltzed back in 10 minutes later, all five things. And again, that sounds so... Probably, it's, well, okay, fine, it's another little thing. But to us, that not to me at the time. And I remember pointing it out to him, I said, do you realise what you've just done? And he was like, what? And I was like, you've just gone and got five things I've given you. You haven't been able to do that for two years. It's little wins, isn't it? It's, and that yeah, was... It's the, lit it's the little think, wins. But that was like a week in. And we, and we yeah. were told, this isn't going to be an overnight fix. It's going to take time. It's going to st hopefully stimulate something that's then going to continue to work and and repair um so to be seeing something within a week I was like whoa okay and I was keeping my little journal notes yeah. and little observations and he had to do an interview for was it Irish, Ir Irish telly Irish tv and that was like week three I think because yeah. by then we'd had the day 14 testing which we'll come back to and I said to Al you're noticeably way better like the interviews previously we had a code where we'd, he'd squeeze my hand off camera to say take over I don't know what I'm talking about or I don't know what question they've asked I would me. always in a in I would always that was one of my um what I was struggling with I'd lose my trail of yeah. thought of the conversation I get asked a question I'd start it yeah. uh, and then I'd go off because you I'd forgot answering. yeah I'd forgot the question I was like a politician I was totally answering uh, <laughs> I'd been asked so 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 now I was noticing, we were sat having dinners with, with Roberto and Mike. Yeah. Mike was there the whole first month with us, and Roberto was. They stayed with us the whole time. And um, I was like, you, you're you going to be noticeably different on this interview. I just know you are. And But you didn't come on with me, did you? No. And, I, and <laughs> again, it was almost a bit of a test. Mm. I said, try doing it on your own. And he did it on his own. Yeah. And you didn't lose your train of thought once. No. So what do, what does it look like then when you say though that when you say he showed him the results on the screen and he was like wow what what is the difference the DTI scans yeah with a with an MRI with a normal MRI it's a black and white photo of the brain ultimately yeah. and that's when Alec first started being tested that's what he'd had and that picked up some white spots but they couldn't really um, give him more detail and when he Alex went to the more in-depth testing here before his diagnosis they did a DTI which we don't have them in hospitals Diffu here diffusion tensor imaging it's yeah, called which shows how the actual brain is working with the neural pathways and it's all sort of bright colours of blue green and red it's on a black background they have them in academic settings in the UK so but in Mexico in they have them in hospitals and in the US so that was the original testing he had on day 0 and that was exact it showed exactly what the DTI scan had showed in the UK and the ones he'd had and that married up with yours where the five areas of damage wasn't it yeah by day 14 and particularly the areas of damage for Alex um like one was the hippocampus and the amygdala they're the areas that control that that link to his symptoms short term memory emotional control executive functioning things he was having problems with and by day 14 we saw a difference on the DTI scan in Alex's neural pathways and brain activity and in addition to the actual scanning they do the neuropsychological testing so all the cognitive testing for an hour in controlled conditions that he'd had multiple times in the UK and there was a noticeable difference between day zero and day 14 Wow! and then Further on day 28, even more significantly in both the neural pathways in the actual data Sounds. and in his performance in the cognitive tests, which is supposed to be impossible. That is amazing. When was the last time? So that, that was <laughs> so when, the bit. So when was the last time that you were, so when you were in Mexico, how many treatments have you had? So, three. Uh, yeah, three so, so far. Three. Um, but you've been four. 
and yeah, we've been over there for, for, for four months in, or just over four months in total. But from my first, finishing my first 28 days, we uh, went back six months later in the, in the October. For a second treatment. For a second treatment. And, and they didn't know if I needed a second treatment. Um, but after having the second treatment and what it showed on the further, scans. Further and my improvement. Further improvements. Oh. So the protocol now for rugby players with the da similar damage to me would be two treatments. Six months apart, because what they stimulate in the first treatment continues to progress. So when we left on day, well, the day 28 testing to when we went back six months later before they started the second treatment, there'd been improvement while we were at home for the six months. So is the treatment... Which we'd continue to do. So is that treatment now done? For Alex, um, we believe so. He's had the three treatments, and he, but he's been scanned and tested on four different time occasions over two years, and he will be continued to be monitored. And so prognosis moving but forward. Everything has only ever progressed, and nothing has reached. Yeah, that's incredible. The prognosis moving forward from toxicity, but but the science said we need to also bear in mind Alex is patient zero. There have been. We help facilitate six other rugby players have now been and also been treated. Only one one treatment. But they're on their treatment journey, their first. Yeah. So they'll all be going back for their second. But they're seeing exactly the same significant um, positive outcomes and results that Alex has. So this warrants now, we have, the science now has to be proven via a clinical trial, the way they have done with cerebral palsy. So that's why Alex and I are now Speaking out, I suppose our our call to action here and our part to play in this is that we have been working really hard behind the scenes for the last year to bring this to the UK because uprooting your life, we're well aware and having done it ourselves four times to Mexico with kids, with bills to pay, with jobs to do, etc. It's, it's, it's challenging. So we're at advanced stages of this arriving in the UK hopefully at some point early next year with and our charity work and our pure purpose and focus will be to raise the funds for a clinical trial for every other diagnosed rugby player to hopefully have the same hope back in their lives that we've got so that's we've got a mission Georgie basically <laughs> you are on it so I've got a lot of challenges to do yeah next year. yeah but you know what busy. has it given you also has it given you a further purpose has it given you a distraction no. like all those yeah. things that you know you sort of need just to keep busy keep present has it given you that yeah it, it has but it's also when I was when when I was feeling much improved I also felt guilt that because I was speaking to so many other players who are yeah. struggling and our mission and Mel speaks to the wives regularly we've got to get this opportunity um for for everyone diagnosed struggling um and yeah as quickly as possible because there's a lot of people not in 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 a good way. If you'd have known, if yeah, you'd have, and that's I think that was always. Sorry, Mel. If you'd have known the risks, the associated risks, when you first started kicking a rugby ball around the place, and you know, and, and first started sort of throwing yourself into rugby, would you have carried on? Well, I was four when I started, and rug, uh, there was contact at four. Like my mum broke down to me when when I got diagnosed. Like, why did I say? I said, "Mum, it wasn't your fault." She didn't know. We weren't educated. They weren't educated. Players still aren't educated on on especially subconcussive hits. And it, the big KOs, I thought I had two. I can't remember them, but they were in all the press. Well, one, one was televised. Yeah, so. what one? I was playing for Wales against South Africa. I met Nelson Mandela before the game. I can't remember. Um, and I woke up in hospital, but the footage, which I watched back, I took a, a hip to the temple, had a fit on the pitch, swallowed my tongue and woke up in hospital. So I know that one happened. The other one, I knocked my two front teeth out and woke up in the hospital, uh, woke up in the changing room with two teeth missing, played the following week. Um, so they were the two big ones that I knew I ha had. Um, but the subconcussive hits, basically every contact in rugby is causing a small bit of damage. And when 
Um, how my neurologist described it was a leaking tap. If you think of a contact as a leaking tap, if a leaking tap drips on a piece of mud once or twice, there'd be no mark at the end of the day. But if it dripped for 14 years, there'd be a big hole. And that's what's happening to rugby players, uh, any contact sport really. And that's the ones we have control of, how, how often that happens. Um, the NFL changed and made it mandatory that they're only allowed to do 14 contacts, padded contact sessions a year. A rugby player could do that in six weeks. So that that's... was that was where we when our diagnosis came in and it was being explained to us and say he was sort of first player diagnosed and they'd looked at all of his career and the exposure he'd had to, to subconcussions and how many times a week he trained and games he played, etc. And I love maths and a spreadsheet and we were sort of were looking at it with the neurologist at the time and they estimated over a hundred thousand subconcussive hits but when you think about where they came from 85 to 90 percent of those came from training not from matches no. on Saturday not from Grand Slam games not from World Cup games it was from it was from training so like you say that's something that overnight and we've campaigned for, for the last few years now for that to become mandatory because it doesn't need to happen but play, players uh, believe it's okay to come back in in seven days you could be KO'd and then play seven, de seven days later, which is insane. In boxing, you're not allowed to fight for three months. They're the same brains. They've had the same injury. But one sport, you can play seven days later. Uh, another, you've got to give the brain time to recover and you're not and, allowed to fight for three months. And the point being there, it was three weeks. It got made three weeks stand down in 1977. J.P.R. Williams was on the board. He was a, obviously very famous Welsh player, but also a doctor. He was on the original committee that decided that. So in 1977, they put that in and it got removed and changed yeah. down to six days. But with no well, well, supporting well, six, evidence well, of it, science telling yeah, you well, that it, the brain... It was six steps that fitted into six days so you could come back if you passed all six steps. Alex, you talked earlier about this being sort of... And that's the of, bit where... Yeah, you talked earlier about this being sort of the tip of the iceberg as well. I mean, I... If rugby doesn't get on top yeah. of it, if the game of rugby doesn't get on top of it and the powers that be don't tackle this, literally, metaphorically, where does its future lie? Because like yeah. you say, the cases are going to grow and mount. So where, where is the future of rugby in all of yeah. this? Parents, parents will stop sending their kids to rugby, Georgie. I think we get called and contacted so much at Head for Change, our charity. And as I say, I support and run a support group for the, the, the wives and partners of, of diagnosed players. People are nervous yeah. about sending their kids yeah. to rugby. And we still both love rugby. We take Darcy to every international. We cycled to the World Cup um, this summer as a fundraiser. And we're still passionate about it. Alex's niece is a really talented rugby player. Yeah. She's outstanding. And we want the game we love to continue. But they have to make it safer for that to happen. Because ultimately, once parents stop sending their kids, where are the future internationals like Al coming from? So education and is key. key. Yeah. Because all we were told about when we played um, um, as a youngster and even into the, um, when I was playing professional, uh, was if you feel sick, you don't carry on. But apart from that, and seeing stars, they are small concussions. And, the, and again, the word concussion I don't like using uh, because it softens what's gone on. If we call them what they are, traumatic brain injuries, people will stand up and, and take them seriously. Um, so, yeah, for, for me, if we get the education right, be honest with what is happening, give it the correct rest um, when one happens um, and not rush a player back because you have longer off when you pull your hamstring than being KO'd. And it's, it's insane. I mean, what's really... And that's the bit they believe. Yeah. If Al's brain had been rested, it wouldn't have... Yeah. necessarily been the same story and the CTE comes from the repetitive but if the brain was being rested in between appropriately it yeah. may not have had the same accumulation and Mel like you mentioned previously I mean for for a rugby wife I mean this sort of um the horrors of this don't even bear thinking about for most people the last thing you want to be is sat in that room listening to a diagnosis like you had to listen to and knowing what you know not knowing what's coming next for you how much has your lives yeah. changed i mean you will have had to have 
uh, be massively supportive of Alex and the mission that he's now on. And I, I'm imagining, you know, for Alex, you, yeah. you know, you go as a sports person, you sort of end up calling time on a career and then you sort of navigate what comes next. But for you, this has already been predetermined. I mean, what does, what does that feel like as well? Because this has sort of chosen you and you have to do now something with this. That that was the hard bit, I think, because we were we were friends from school. Al and I have known each other since we were eleven. We were great mates growing up. Went our sort of separate ways. I went off to have my career. Him with his rugby, and then we came back together. Um, what was it nearly nine years ago? Yeah. And we had all these amazing plans. So I helped Al set up his company that he set up, and he was getting really into business. He's always been always been entrepreneurial. Um, we'd had Darcy. We were just about to have IVF to have another baby. We had plans to um, go and live by the sea. So we had all of this brilliant stuff going on, yeah. didn't we? And then out of nowhere, you know, thing, things were, the symptoms were starting and I was saying, oh, it's because we've got a new baby. It's because I've set up a new company. It's because you've gone back to work so quickly after, you know, you were blaming things. Yeah. But we still, yeah, but we still always had us and we've always been, we have always been best friends and we've always been a great team and there's always been humour in our relationship. And these things were sort of just fading, Georgie. It was horrible. And I think I just went into survival mode. Yeah. And then as soon as we found out what it was, and I've always been the like, I don't know, very practical and how do we fix this? How can we make this right? And we couldn't because there wasn't a treatment cure. So we did everything else we could. Yeah. We threw ourselves into the charity. I spent every spare evening, weekend up till two in the morning, calling in favours from friends to pull this charity together alongside footballing families that we did it with. Um, Al, we took Al out of, of, of work because that was a really stressing his brain yeah. and that was advised to us. So I've been financially supporting us for three and a half years and supporting the family. That's what well, yeah, which been, I find hard. Yeah. Which you find really hard and he hates that I am doing that. I'm absolutely more than willing to, but you found that tough because yeah. he's used to, you know, being a provider, etc. And always, um, you've always, you know, worked hard and... So it, it's been difficult. It's been a difficult time to navigate. Our relationship yeah. has has definitely been tested massively, massively. I've gone and sat in my car, I don't know how many times, or pre-treatment. I'd sit in the woods, drive to my house here, and just sob for three mm. hours, going like, what am I going to do? I can't carry on like this. Um and something kept, I don't know, something kept telling me that this wasn't Alex, he wasn't choosing to be this way, and... I dug in yeah. and well thank goodness we did and we've I don't know we've we haven't yet been able to because of not being able to speak out until now sort of really get our life back have no. we no um and that we're now excited about the fact we can make plans again for the future the the house the living by the sea is back on the cars yeah. <laughs> it's co no but it's, it would have cost is, is it would have get this treatment yeah yet. but it would have cost you so much wouldn't it because whilst you're navigating that particular scenario, you're having to make decisions in your world, which, you know, to, to throw out all eggs in this basket to helping to helping Alex in his recovery yeah. and help him get better. So presumably, you know, you, you make other decisions, which there's sacrifices, aren't there, everywhere? I mean, my life's gone on hold is the answer to that, Georgie, if we're really... Yeah. So this morning, before seeing you today, I have had um, my first P... PT session, God, it's the first thing I've done for myself with going and doing something exercise-wise for a few, few years. And I didn't have to come and watch. It was a win-win. <laughs> um, but, but that is the first time that's me actually doing something oh, myself. It's yeah, all well, been about Al. I've project managed all the charity events. He goes and does the physical stuff and does what he wants to do. But it's all been all energy into making sure you're okay. And yeah. I would do it. I would do it 10 times, 100 times, a million times again. Um, it was for making sure our was our Alan, the best dad he could be to Darcy, Holly and Isabel for as long as possible. Yeah. Um, but I'm actually really quite excited about getting my life back. Like holidays have not happened for us. We used to no. love our holidays. Yeah. But, you know, time taken has been going and being in an apartment in Mexico, which we've got to know the city and we've yeah. got friends there now and we <laughs> yeah. love it, but it's not sort of beaches and pina coladas. It's, me working from 4am on a laptop on London time, um, then going off to treatment in the afternoon. Then I go for a bike ride. 
<laughs> Me putting and didn't, bed, and didn't a bike ride, ride no, was, and wasn't it a bike ride that started all of this off? Because I remember yeah. reading, Alex, that you went yeah. for a bike ride. Well, no, a bike ride got him to the doctor. Yeah, your bike ride got you to the doctor because yeah. it was that that made you realise that there was something seriously wrong. Yeah, I, I was making excuses, as Mel said earlier, with the saying it was new business, baby, kids, everything like that. And um, I went on this bike ride from the house that I've done over 100 times and had a blackout moment, didn't know where I was, didn't know which way to turn. And I can tell you now, I could talk you through the route thinking about it now, but in that moment, it was horrible. And I rung Mel quite upset um, and she said, well, just cycle home the way you came. Is it retrace it on your yeah. Strava? Because yeah. you always use yeah. Strava. So you retraced your... Um, and come home and, and was upset and we phoned the doctors. He burst the following into tears. Yeah, the following morning. Um, and that was like a weight off my shoulder that I'd be making excuses and now I've admitted there's something wrong. Let's see what it is. And you thought it was a brain tumour. I thought you? he had a brain tumour. I'd yeah. never heard of CTE. I'd never heard of what was going on in the NFL. I'm not an American football Fan. I didn't know anything about any of that and I thought that he had something that was causing these strange personality changes you you um you were struggling to read and take in yeah, yeah you were running the company my company weren't you? yeah I was basically having to run Al's company behind the scenes he was struggling to take any information that he read and he was becoming very anxious he couldn't take in info in a meeting with more than one person there because he yeah. couldn't filter the noise but I I that's what I'd sort of put two and two together and came out with ten, and that's what I thought they were going to tell us when yeah. he went for the tests. So, so yeah, it's it's an unbelievable three years, three and a half years since, or it's longer than that, since since that day, four years, yeah, four and a half years since finally admitting there was something up. And Al, when you were out in Mexico, and, and yeah. like Mel says, after a couple of weeks, they did the test, and you could actually see for yourself in black and white that things were improving. I mean, what did that do for you? How did that make you feel? Because I know that, obviously, that's going to make you feel better for the wider family and for Mel, but what, what about yourself? What about you? Well, the first, which was which was a nightmare, was uh, was the headache, so... I would have those most days and we'd have to sit in a dark room and um, yeah, couldn't really do anything. So that was a big step after three days, not taking them for a day. And then that went under the fourth, fifth, and, and I haven't taken them any since. So having an afternoon most days and being able to spend more time with Darcy and Mel um, was, was huge again. But then I started, because I, I am quite entrepreneurial, <laughs> thinking about business ideas and 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 thinking positively again that because that had stopped for a year and having ideas and and seeing the future in a in a positive light which which was huge um and planning things and and then it would go back then in my in my even though I had those positive thoughts I've got to help other players I'm, I'm speaking to boys daily who aren't in a good way um when I talk to them now, I do say I have been ex for experimental treatment. It's very positive. We're trying to bring it to the UK um, and, and, and give them that information, which is better than what we had. Yeah. There is no treatment. There is no cure. And what your message is going to be out there now is going to be out there and people are going to ask you about it. And, it, you know, and Mel, I know you said initially, you're like, oh, don't let the sort of, you know, d d open up this can of worms and everyone then knows everything about everything. But, but, but yeah. in doing so, you give so many people so much hope. And obviously you've been given hope yourself. And, yeah, and, and, yeah. and so what would you want that sort of one sort of message, that one takeaway to be from people that are listening or watching to this pod or hear you elsewhere? What do you want that one takeaway to be for people? I think it is that it's that having that sense of, yeah, hope, the positive thinking. Um, for us, it was believing in miracles ultimately. But this isn't just going to change the lives of hopefully the, the rugby players that are going to be in the clinical trial with this technology. This is this was already being used in, in other 
um, neurological diseases with no other hope, um, you know, in the children with cerebral palsy, patients we've met, seeing that for ourselves when we were in Mexico, and it's it's heartbreaking to see these children who are affected with cerebral palsy, but so heartwarming when we are then seeing physically with our own eyes the improvements in them and seeing their mothers breaking down in tears. That was yeah. unreal. And there's other, you know, stroke, um, autism, long COVID, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. We've met and been on this journey with others having this experimental treatment. So for us today, it's it. I'm so excited yeah. for so many people out there who may be in really dark places and having the dark days that we were, um, that there's potential. There's potential for for some light. absolute <laughs> light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, this huge big light is is now opened back up for us, which is amazing. And and it's it's I say for us, it's for the girls as well. It's yeah. for children. That's one of the things that I've found quite hard as a trustee for Head for Change, as they supporting the um, some of the other wives and partners. It's it's the impact it's been having on the children. These are young kids. You think of people with dementia, and the footballers with dementia are you know in their maybe late 60s, 70s, often with grandchildren. These are guys with young children who. Um, you know, Al being able to teach Darcy to ride a bike this summer, you wouldn't, I don't think, have been... I wouldn't have had the patience. Doing that, you wouldn't no. have had the patience and, and the ability to instruct and be calm in that way yeah. had that been three years ago. And, you know, I'm someone who lost my dad six years ago. He's a massive part of my life and I thank my lucky stars I had him for so long. But the thought that these little young girls and teenagers were going to lose their dad, that... That was really hard for me, and the way the impact it has on families, it's not just the players who are suffering, it, it, it's the people around them. And the thought that a lot of people's lives are going to be made happier, more positive, a bit easier. Um, a lot easier. A lot easier. <laughs> um, that excites us, that really does. Oh, that's such a nice note, I think, to, to end things on because it's got huge positivity around it. And, it, you know, obviously you've been through absolute hell and back, but it feels like there is light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm so privileged that you shared it with us. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. And thank you for listening. Thanks, guys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.